I'm starting to think that inventing Memoji was one of the worst things that's happened to modern Apple. I mean, forget the App Store. <laughs> the Memoji are the real problem here. Apple loves them. What, what makes you say that, though? that apple loves them that's exactly the problem they love them their love for them is completely out of proportion to like their cuteness value or or whatever whatever sort of they want to ascribe to them i thought are you are you talking about the opening where tim cook came out on stage and there was it was in the steve jobs theater and there's raucous applause and the audience is just filled with emoji (laughs) and when tim cook actually came out i wasn't clear that it had actually started you know like yep it was a weird transition where I felt like we were still watching this opening thing. And then it's like, wait, and there was a bunch, you know, there was like a fake Tim cook in the opening ones, like where somebody would pitch, what if Tim cook is in the back to the future car and they, you know, have him get out and they had like a fake Tim cook, which was kind of funny. Um, but then it's real Tim Cook, but it wasn't clear. It was, I guess, that was supposed to be on purpose because you're behind him and he weren't. Yeah, he's running out. He's like backstage and he's running out of the stage, like it's the, it's the actual WWDC. Yeah. Anyway, only thing I would take away from that, if you want to go deep on Kremlinology, is I would take it as a hint. It's Apple's way of saying, hey, live stuff is coming back. Because I know there's a lot of, been even before today, there's been a lot of speculation that, that hey, these, these pre-filmed keynotes from Apple are better than the live ones to watch if you're watching remotely. And 99.99% of people have to watch remotely. They don't get you know, press invitations to these things. So maybe they're just going to keep them and they're not going to have live events anymore. they would just be like hands-on areas for the press or something. And I thought that that opening was sort of a sign that, Hey, we missed coming out to a crowd of people who cheer and stuff like that. Yeah. I think one, that's a great point. I think it probably was hinting at that. And two, who are these people that prefer these like canned recordings? Cause it's, I don't know. I much prefer sort of a live presentation over these sorts of things. But I think I think that's a good point. I think that's, exa- that's exactly what it was hinting at. Yeah, that's what I think. Anyway, what'd you think? You know, it was interesting because obviously it's hard to disentangle this from all the discussion and brouhaha that's going around Apple and developers. And you're not helping matters by <laughs> dropping this app store, the Schiller Cut piece, the morning of WWDC. But I think I don't think it's inappropriate because... It was hard to sort of escape that. And you came away from this, like Apple was appling to like the most Apple degree. Like th- this was not really a developer keynote at all. And that's never been the case at WWC, but it was even more the case here where this was all about what Apple, what Apple is building and how Apple is tying its things together, how Apple is integrating all these different pieces. And even the APIs that were shown, like the share time API was all about how can you plug into the Apple lock-in ecosystem, right? And But, but that's what Apple does. Apple sort of integrates stuff together. It ties it together. You buy into the ecosystem because it all sort of generally works together. You don't have to patch it together yourself. That's what Apple offers. And it's like, okay, that's fine. That's great. That's why you succeed. Isn't that enough that like you're, you're going to win? Like you have all the advantages in the world. It, you also have to like sort of take this other stuff too. It, it, I don't know. It was just maybe because I had literally just read your piece and I watched it, but that was sort of like what was top of mind for me. It, you and I are both friends with a bunch of longtime Apple developers, third-party developers. And, and you know, uh, I was watching live with a bunch of them in Slack and I always get that feedback. And, and there's always sort of among developers, a sort of, it often pops up during the WWDC morning keynote. Hey, isn't this a developer conference? What the hell's going on in this keynote? 
Um, that's always the case. And that's what the, the platform State of the Union second keynote in the afternoon is actually for. That's the developer conference keynote where they talk about APIs and show lots of code and the whole thing is about what's available for developers. It's always true. But there was something about this morning's keynote that was more Apple platform centric. And it's not just that it wasn't about developers. It was... In some ways, I, I get why Apple has the schedule this way and they like it, uh, but it's like that morning WWDC keynote is, uh, fills the role that Macworld Expo keynotes used to, which yep. was, it's the platform state of the union for users. Here's what we're doing with the platforms. And we can talk about software. We don't have to try to sell you a new computer or whatever because we don't even necessarily have any. Uh, hardware to announce. We just want to tell you about the platforms in a way that wouldn't fit at an event where the star of the show is supposed to be a new hardware product, right? Yep. Here's a new iPad Pro. Uh, we want to tell you all about it, but also we're going to take an hour to tell you what's new in iPad OS. Well, that does that, that, that's unfocused, you know. But today's was really more of a consumer and, and, and very much about here's what you can do in the Apple ecosystem. And the other thing too was even though it was presented, you know, they always sort of organize it where they have the phone part and they have the iPad part and they have the watch part and they have the TV part and the, the Mac part. This one, in almost every case, the sort of headlining features were all about how those different pieces work together. And so there was like, and, and so they would go through and like they'd have that, that, that closing slide for the Mac section or the iPhone section. And half the features in that slide would be stuff they already talked about in a different section of the keynote. Yeah. But because th what they talked about was how these different things work together. And that, I think that's why it felt different. Because it wasn't even like they're talking about new iPhone features specifically. They're talking about how you use your iPhone with your watch or with your Mac. And that's so far divorced from sort of a developer reality where sort of by definition, you're more much more constrained to the platform that you're on that, you know, I think it made it made it feel even more of a difference from, to your point, the sort of afternoon developer centric presentation that that most people don't watch. I say it not as a complaint, but simply as an observation. And that's just the way it played out this year. But I also can't help but think that a little bit of it was maybe subconscious, not conscious, but knowing all year, right? There was never any question at any point that this year's WWDC was going to be remote again, right? Because when they had to start planning it, there's just, even if they knew how well vaccinations would be going, they, they, they wouldn't have it in person right now in California. So they knew it was going to be remote. And I can't help but think, you know, whereas last year, a lot of the planning for WWDC surely happened before mid-March when the COVID shit hit the fan. Um, and so I can't help but think that there was a little bit of no intention at all to playing to a live audience of 5,000 developers who've traveled from around the world and paid a couple thousand bucks to see this, right? That there's always in that, even though the morning keynote is the consumer keynote, they still know that they're doing it in front of an audience of 5,000 third-party developers. And, and they want to get that applause. Whereas this time they knew they weren't going to, and I feel like it's subconsciously it made it even less developer centric than than ever before. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting observation because like yeah, like again, it's like oftentimes when they show stuff that's on the platform as a developer you can look at that and say, "Oh yeah, I could do something like that in my app or I right. could follow that sort of idea." 
a developer is not making you drag your cursor from sort of one from your Mac to your iPad or do said they do. It's it's like, you know, you're done for it because your solution is going to be so much more janky than sort of right. Apple's solution. You know what I mean? Like if you're a band, you put your set list together for a live concert and, and you don't just pick uh, 20 good songs. You p- pick good songs in an order that's going to get the crowd in a mood together. Right. Yep. And yep. same same thing for putting together a slide presentation. No, I think I think it's a great observation. What, what was interesting about this at, in general, though, was Apple. You know, Apple is leaning in to, and maybe it's inevitable given how large they are and the fact that they cover so much territory. But the degree to which they're leaning into the fact that we have special capabilities because we own the OS, because right. we own the platform, that lets us do these things. And and it's so funny because I mean, this ties back to your article. Like they have big advantages over these companies they compete with. They have big advantages over a company like Tile or a company like, you know, even Spotify. And I'm actually fine with them having those advantages. To me, that's the that's what you get for winning, right? That's what you get for owning the platform. You get all these advantages going forward. And it sort of just sort of reemphasized like like what I worry about about Apple in, in all this legal stuff that's going on and that regulators coming down is that's the part the regulators might take away. They might take away Apple's ability to create stuff that only the platform owner can create. And I think that would be a shame because I want Apple to make cool stuff that only the, the, the platform can create. And, and so I hope that, that they let go of the other bit, having to take a tax or tell users where to go or what not to do so that they can continue to do stuff like this that no one else can do because they don't own the underlying platform. And in terms of risk assessment, it's just like any kind of insurance that you might buy, that you've got to do you've got to do the actuary actuarial math and figure out that okay, however much uh, app store revenue from third party developer efforts we might have to forego by taking a different strategy, we should do whatever it takes to make sure regulators don't don't strike down on our ability to to do what truly is central to our business. You know, like one of the points I hit on in my article today is that the weirdest thing to me about this whole app store being the center of the antitrust investigations is that the app store is without question a side hustle for Apple. It's a significant one. It's, you know, maybe $10 billion a year, uh, uh, maybe more to Apple. But that for Apple, that's not that much money. And I've, I can never recall any company uh, getting into antitrust serious antitrust inquiries over something that is so incidental to their overall business. And it's like, and, and yet they're putting at risk things like their ability to integrate from the OS out. Um, like, I don't think it's a serious risk, but it, it once you're, once you're in the hands of the regulators, you don't know what's going to happen. It's just like they always say yep. about a jury trial. You never know what 12, 12 jurors are going to say. Well, cause that's been a point of like sort of regulatory pressure, which is, you know, not letting sort of platforms compete on top of their platform. And and to me, that's a big problem, right? You want like one of the problems I have people pushing against Google is I want Google to innovate in search results, right? I don't want 10 bullings forever. Like, I, I, like why, why would we want right. to be stuck in a particular way of looking at things? I don't want Apple stuck just building phones and then having a bunch of APIs. I, I want them to do things that is unique to sort of you know, their capabilities and be able to tie the different pieces together. Like that's a, and that's why you, you, 
customers would choose to use Apple's Apple products over alternative ones. And yeah, preserving that. And that was such, that was so central to the keynote today was look at this cool stuff we can do because we control everything. And if we didn't control everything, we couldn't do this cool stuff. That was to me, that was the big takeaway from this. That was the, the central theme of this. It was Apple at its most Apple in many regards where, you know, it's not just, they didn't talk about the M1 today. They didn't talk about the chipset, but you think about it that from the chipset to the operating system, to, to the APIs, to the services on top of it, they're just pulling in more and more. Uh, and you, this almost feeds into the worst thoughts about how they think about developers. Like to what extent were developers just filling in holes in the platform until Apple could get to them. <laughs> like that, it does feel that way a bit where Apple's like, okay, we're picking off more and more pieces of the entire experience and we're just going to do it for you. I and mean, you saw this stuff with like with some of the news stuff and, and the sharing links and all that sort of stuff. Like had a note, the notes, notes are everywhere. Super convenient. Guess who can do that? The operating system, right? And 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 there, you could see that sort of progressing in category by category. <laughs> I will say this: I installed iPad OS on my iPad because it's like my my iPad is so incidental to me where it's like I'll put iOS on a spare iPhone, not my real iPhone, till later in the summer. But iPad, sure, go ahead. I want to try it. Uh, and I tried the Quick Note thing from Safari, and it crashed my Safari and iPad. Like the the Quick Note came up, but it crashed Safari instance. And then I did it again, and I did it again, and I realized I just lost a Safari instance with two hundred and forty tabs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not a complaint. That's what you get for installing Developer Beta One. Uh, but there's like, to my knowledge, there's no way to like restore it. You know, like when you when you just close a Safari instance in Safari in the old iPad OS, you get like a button that says, "Oh, reopen the thing you just closed." There's nothing like that when you. Yep, crash it's it. gone, gone forever. So, but what I did is I powered the iPad down real quick so it wouldn't sync. And now for my other machines, I still have them all in my iCloud tabs. So I've got oh, to, there he goes. You said, you to, well, you I got to go through through all the tabs. I first. Gotta, yeah, but I was oh, I clearly I was due to clean up my iPad tabs anyway. <laughs> So, you know, I'll take it on the chin. I think Apple did me a favor by. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, did you know, do you know what the maximum number of tabs you can have in your browser, in your iPhone browser is? 500. That's right. Because <laughs> we've all hit it. <laughs> no, I don't think we've all hit it. It's you're one of two types of people. It really is one of those. There's two types of people in the world. There's people who know you have 500 tabs. And then there's people who are like, you ever open more than three tabs? <laughs> Speaking of tabs. Uh, when I saw that Safari thing come up, the first, I, typed, I was in that Slack. <laughs> I believe my exact typing was, thank God I don't use Safari anymore. I, I think that the iPad changes to the multitasking are just what the doctor ordered. I've, I've played with it for 15 minutes. I, so far, so good. I think it is a very iPad-like solution. It's very visual. There's a thing that you can see that you tap to get into the mode. When you do get into mode, you can always see you're in the mode. Left and right are both equal partners. This new shelf thing, which is sort of like an in-app instance of, hey, how many windows does this app open? Really nice idea. I really like it. What they've done to Safari on Mac with the tabs, it to me looks like a nightmare. I don't understand it. I'm terrified that I'm going to have to switch browsers if there's no option to get out of it or they don't back out. It's it's the most terrifying thing I've seen in years. <laughs> Because I'd so depend on Safari. 